I then knew what he was doing. He was going to torment my life because I think he uses his hurt in a different way to hurt me. Um, and obviously the biggest way to hurt me would be to threaten my life while my baby's in the car. So then there was a car coming on the other side of the road and he then just goes full pelt, puts his accelerator down. And I just embraced. I went and looked at Brooklyn and I thought, right, so the only way for me to get out of this and for him to survive is me to shield his body with my body. Took my seatbelt off and I was embracing for the fact that if he saw something coming, we were going to be gone. Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Pleathered, and my guest is Kirsty Stenhouse. Kirsty is a young mother of one who has recently written and is about to publish Love Made Me Silent, a book that details her experience of domestic abuse and coercive control. With a desire to put herself forward as both a cautionary tale and an example of how things can absolutely change for the better, Kirsty's recollections will help her achieve both of those things. You'll hear Kirsty explain how life quickly went from idyllic and everything she'd ever wanted to being on the receiving end of psychological abuse and very genuine threats to her life. We discuss various forms of coercive control, now fully prosecutable under Scots law as per the Domestic Abuse Act of 1st April 2019. And Kirsty talks through how writing her book has served as the ultimate form of therapy and processing after what she's experienced. According to ons.gov.uk, 2.2 million people last year were victims of recorded domestic abuse or violence from their partner. That doesn't account for a huge amount that goes unreported. Now, one in five people will experience domestic abuse of some sort in their lifetime. If it hasn't or doesn't happen to you, it's happened or will happen to somebody that you know. So if you or anybody else has been affected by any of the issues discussed in this episode, there are various helplines available for you. You'll find some of them in the episode notes. We're recording, that's us. Perfect. Are you nervous? A little bit. That's completely normal. That'll, that'll completely disintegrate. Let's start by dissipating those nerves by just talking about surroundings. You've got a lodge. I know. Very wholesome, very chill. I like to come here when it's getting a little bit much. It's great. We won't say exactly where we are, but we're like towards Edinburgh. Yeah. Further away from Scotland's number one city and closer to the capital and name only. We'll come straight to the point. Yeah. We're going to be talking about about your experience, which has been, I mean, challenging to say the least. Yeah, four years of hell. To the point where you've even just told me that that type of thing can result in a particular sort of brain damage. You'll yeah. go on to elaborate about that. Yeah. Why Why do you feel that you you kind of want to have this conversation? Because um, I was just going to say, I read a thing the other day and it really struck a chord with me and it's like people who repetitively, publicly relive awful experiences, mm-hmm. it can be said, and it's not a criticism, more just an observation that... Yeah maybe not healed properly and it's it's not possible to heal 
while reliving that constantly, and she kinda in part have to put it to bed a wee bit. Would you say that you've you've got to that point and you're now at the point where you can look back and see it as this whole other lifetime? Completely. I actually started writing a book and um I'm hoping actually to get it launched in spring. But writing that book was the most healing process I have ever done. Writing each chapter was like reliving the moments. And mm. I went through my whole fight or flight, clenched jaw. It was horrific. But once each chapter was done, it was literally like I had overcome reliving it in a different, complete different sense and a complete different mindset. Um, and now that the book is done, it's literally like that chapter is now closed but I now want to look back at the past in a different light. And if I can make my past into a silver lining, I feel like that's the best way to overcome a trauma. Yeah. Is, I mean, writing in general and that type of expression, it's underrated, isn't it, how therapeutic it is? Because um, it seems old-fashioned. Yeah, and I really done it as I was reliving the moment. So that's how I wrote it, because I really want to take the reader into... The, the actual footsteps off me so they could really experience the character that I was with, the characters that I was with. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's raw and it's intense and that's what I know I need to do if I'm going to talk about my story and tell my story. Mm. Let's let's talk about the story then. Yeah. I mean, I apologise in advance for kind of making you once again go through it, but I'm hoping, as you say, that you're seeing it through a different lens almost yeah. now. I actually read a really good quote and it's probably why I also wanted to speak out. It said, um, you you own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted to you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better and mm. that took the fear away as well. Like the, the confronting that type of past as well or confronting anything as I would say, I mean, some... some far more educated, intelligent person than me might correct me on this, but I would say that confronting it is the the number one way to, to get through it. Yeah. I think the avoidance of it, whether it's through, even at a much smaller scale. So I had a couple of things going on and instead of confronting them and, and being uncomfortable and experiencing that discomfort, I just tried to avoid, yeah. whether it was with the gym, whether it was with nights out and switching off and every time that those things subsided or ended, I was then kind of almost, it's like being trapped in a room with them until you kind of go, right, I have to be comfortable in this discomfort in order to process it and to to move on. A hundred percent. I spent so many nights in my bedroom embracing the emotions that I was going through. I mean, for a long period, I actually didn't believe that I was abused. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the number one thing that I want to try and help people. I thought because their bruises weren't present that I had no reason to outspeak. Yeah. I had no reason to be moaning. My life looked picture perfect on Instagram. I looked like I had the perfect life. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I was really, really shocked when you said to me, and it's always the case, isn't it? Yeah. I was getting flown everywhere designer stuff and I honestly feel so much shame towards it because I remember quite a lot of people used to sign into my dms being like oh my god you've got the perfect life and the amount of times I wanted to turn to them and say your happiness and the love that you have is way more than what 
I have. Yeah. Um, my life's empty. I have everything that what you think is going to fulfill you, but trust me, it doesn't. <laughs> Chapter one, then. Yeah, let's, that was deep. <laughs> so, so <laughs> that was <I> deep. <laughs> Uh, no, but it's... It's true, though. It, it is, is true. It um, completely is. Well, chap- so chapter one of that, that story and yeah. how that sort of from the outside looking in type picture is, is constructed. I mean, yeah. you tell it as you want to tell it, as you recall it. So I first met him when I was 23. I was about to turn 24. And I am a girl that just chased love. I always wanted that magical love where I was going to get whisked away and just be loved. Literally, that's all I wanted. Were you a big Disney fan when you were younger? Oh, huge. Cinderella, absolutely. You could spot a Disney (laughs) Disney adult females away, couldn't you? (laughs) I know, honestly, just, yeah, love. Um, And when I met him, we went on a first date and I was in awe. He was like the perfect man, masculine, wants to know everything about me. Um, He was just like everything I probably wanted in a man, would picked me up, drove me home, just very proper. And from that day on, I was like, yep, I'm gonna marry him. Told my mom and dad, I was like, right, he's the man, he's the one. And I already had in my headset that that was it. Probably don't do that. Um, and then for about three months, it was solid, it was great. Um, completely in awe, he showed, told me everything. I'm gonna marry you one day. I'm gonna love you forever. I want you to be with my baby mom. Like just made me feel like I was the only girl in the world. And as a girl, that's all you want. You want the man that you're with to think that you're the best thing since sliced bread. And he made me think that. Um, but then six months down the line, I would say that was the pinnacle time when things started to really, um, really take a turn. But I also questioned the girl that I was. I thought when things started taking a turn, I was doing wrong and I started to question myself. But basically I got a new job six months in and I started to feel really quite emotionally depleted because that was the time I was starting to walk on eggshells. I was waking up and I was having tremors. I was having a clenched jaw just because I was purely when I was waking up, I was panicking about what mood he was in. I didn't know that was not normal. I started to believe that was just a normal thing that I was having to deal with. Um, and then that's when I started to realize his rage as well. There'd be holes in the walls, smashed up controllers, smashed phones. Um, and I just thought that was his, just a rage that I had to deal with as well. Um, when I started this new job, um, colleagues started to click on that things weren't quite right in my life, but I didn't say anything. Um, I was just, I was probably ashamed as well. Um, He one time turned up to work unannounced and I went into complete anxiety attack. My blotches just went over, like the girls I was working with completely saw and they were like, what is going on with her? Um, And then when he walked away, that's when everyone started to know in the workplace and I was getting a bit, I suppose I just felt more alone than what I ever had because I didn't want to tell them that I was scared of him. Yeah. And then there was another time I thought I was about to have a panic attack because it's the same kind of period when panic attacks started happening. I was about to go home, but he had been texting me that day um, trying to cause a fight. 
So to stop my panic attack, I started scratching my hand because I thought that would stop the, my nervous system going into overdrive. So I scratched my hand so much it started to bleed and someone from the sales team came over and said, did you do that to yourself? And I just remember being like, absolutely not, like I just cut myself. But he knew in my eyes and my fear that it was all a lie. And I remember thinking, I need to leave this job. Like everyone thinks that I'm living a complete horrible life, which I am, but I am not in a place to even say or um, come forward with it. So I'm gonna leave the job. Um, so I quit on a really bad whim, just completely left, didn't give any explanation and just left. And that probably made my life worse because I was then spending every day in his presence. But I felt like when I was away from him, things were worse. So I had to, this all kind of made sense to me, leave the job and just spend more time with him and try to be the perfect girlfriend. Fucking hell. It's heavy. So, I mean, the first, it's kind of seems like textbook to me now. I'm by no means an expert, but I've, I've... been alive long enough and heard enough sort of accounts and testimonies to realise that there's a thing that's commonly known as love bombing, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. And that's, is that just because that to me seems so, nuts? Like, listen, we've all had to be intense love affairs. I sound yeah. like you're old guy. No, it's I sound okay, like though. a like a soft core romance or a hardcore romance novelist. We have like an intense love affair, and and you kind of do you maybe say things more so when you're younger. Yeah, and it's such an intensity of passion that you're like, I want to be with you forever, and yeah. I kind of see this happening. But there is also a sort of restraint, maybe from both parties. Understand. But often with the love bombing sort of examples, would I, do you think I'm right in saying it's sharing with gifts and compliments? Oh, 100%. It's everything. Person. I mean, within six weeks of knowing him, I got flown to Dubai for my birthday. No, that's fucking... It's, that's, it's crazy. And like, I know loads of people that's happened to. Yeah. But I was getting... And then like my apologies were a Gucci bag. Um, something just to sweep me up because he couldn't do it with words. Um, well, rarely. Um, but his over generous move after him being explosive was a gift like a Gucci bag or a jacket or just something um is it did you think you'd experienced this so I I was reading as well that the sort of love bombing thing it's it's putting you in such a high and making you feel incredible yeah and so then you become you become addicted to it and you're constantly seeking that level of validation and because that was your baseline and that comes into later down the line when i talk about brain damage and your chemical imbalances it causes such a high peak of adrenaline and um yeah it it basically causes these two imbalances but then later down the line the longer you're with them it does cause brain damage to two parts of your brain and that's why it gets so hard to get an explanation for that like because i again plain amateur sort of psychologist here but it's like what are you raging about what are you so angry about yeah so I mean I don't want to speak on his behalf but um I think people that I mean I pity I pity people that um abuse because I do think that a life that you can't feel empathy and love and you have to hurt someone because you're so hurt I do feel for them I do and I think, I don't know if that's the em- empath in me, because I just feel like 
that must be such an empty life. Yeah. I could never go through life hurting someone or, or seeing my partner cry or tell them not to cry. I just couldn't imagine doing that to someone. Yeah, I mean, there's the whole phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Exactly. But, yeah, it's very hard to get the head around. I suppose that there has to be an explanation for most things. Yeah. Theory of Occam's Razor. Yeah. Basically, it states that the most, the, the simplest explanation with the least amount of steps to get there is usually the, the, the correct or applicable one. Yeah. But, yeah, it's very, just very, very difficult to get the head around. That started very quickly, just all of it. Was there just a day where just all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I'm no longer flavour of the month here? Literally, it felt like that. It was honestly the six-month mark, and it felt... It, so it's the disregarding stage, and it's making you feel, like, not worthy. And that's exactly what I felt. I lost so much weight, um, and I was just constantly out to please him. I would make sure that he was well-fed. I would make sure the house was perfect because God forbid he couldn't find something. If he couldn't find something, it meant, maybe meant that I'd be ignored for two days um, with silent treatment. Mm. Um, and then I probably, so it was eight months down the line when I met him. And this is probably the deepest part. Um, we once went on a night out, a couple's night out, and we had been drinking and on our way home I had fallen asleep in the taxi I had then got out the taxi went upstairs went to bed and the doorbell rang and I don't know why but my body just sunk into this complete fear and I don't know why but I just felt like I'd done something wrong um and the, he opened the door and it was the taxi man giving him my phone I instantly knew then that I was in for one hell of a night because I'd left my phone in the taxi I just knew he was going to turn it into a complete meltdown and he did he came running up the stairs and as soon as he ran up the stairs i was just thinking oh my god like just take me away from this bedroom right now um he then started screaming at me saying that i'm incompetent um i i don't look after my things properly i'm a selfish bitch go can i swear no no you fucking cannot <laughs> Of course you can. <laughs> Go fuck whoever you want and um, see if I care. And then he what? punched a hole in the wall and he went, you fucking made me do, th do this. And mm. tears just fell down my face because obviously I just fell, down, fell asleep in the taxi. That's all I knew yeah. that situation to be. But he seen that as a completely different side to the story of what just happened. Yeah. So then I just curled up in the duvet and wanted to just try and go to sleep. But then he pulled the duvet off me and said, you're not sleeping here. You need to go to the spare room. Um, I don't want to be anywhere near you. So then took myself to the spare room and I didn't sleep that night. But it was about 5 a.m. when the sunlight started coming out. I remember thinking, I'm so terrified to go face him this morning. I know there's a hole in the wall that he blames on me. I um. I don't know how how long he's going to ignore me for. And I remember thinking, what's one thing that I can't leave him? I know for a fact I can't leave him. I can't go right through there and say, I don't want to be with you anymore. I am stuck with him. So the one thing that I felt that was going to change everything was a baby. So I don't know if I now believe in the universe after doing this, but everything adds up to make me think that the universe was like just being like, here, have it. But... I looked at the window and I prayed to be pregnant at that time. I prayed and I was like, please just give me a baby because maybe if a baby, I have a baby, the abuse will stop and I'll then feel a little bit of something of love. If I have a baby, I'm going to feel love. 
and he'll then stop the abuse. So it all stops. Oh, I mean, um, see if I can pick up on a couple of points, just sort of observations yeah. and thoughts, like they coming in and you left your phone in the taxi, so go and fuck whoever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I know. What? Like, and how did you get there? I know. And see, looking on. I can see now that I'm out of that situation, I can see how barbaric that is. But see when you're a victim and you're in that situation, yeah. you truly feel like you're letting them down. You truly feel like you are doing them wrong and you need to be better. You need to, you need to be more punctual. Why the hell would you leave your phone in a taxi? How dare you fall asleep and leave your phone? Like they bought you that phone. Why would you leave it? And that's how I felt. Like I was beating myself up over the fact that I was letting him down constantly. And I, was, I couldn't understand because I was being a better girlfriend than what I was in the start relationship because I was overdoing it. I was doing everything I could and I still wasn't enough. I've lost about 26 iPhones. <laughs> Honestly. Pickpocketing, <laughs> dropping them, <laughs> getting them taken out. My hand while I'm eating a KFC, drunk, getting hot at a stag do in the summer, you name it, I've lost it. It ain't that big a crime. I know. It happens. Like People fall asleep, people leave things. I mean, it's very clear to me and I could pretty much guarantee it'll be clear to the people listening because they're switched on and smart that he wasn't angry about the phone being was, lost. Yeah, no. He felt probably as if he wasn't good enough or as if people fancied you. Yeah. All of these things. And it's went away in his brain and gnawing away at him. And he's just sp- un- yeah, I'm guessing here he probably doesn't have the ability to process that. So then it just comes out looking for any excuse to kind of be enraged and that is exactly what the relationship was it was constant like he would look for the smallest minor inconvenience and it would come right back to me and so any minor inconvenience that happened in our lives i would panic my ins- i would instantly panic because i knew i was going to get it what was he how was he perceived by other people yeah n- not great um so he oh, fuck i thought you were going to tell me like seen as if you're a model yeah citizen. so he did so no he did um but then people start clicking on he was um but then he lost a lot of friends due to the way he is as a person um yeah he when i first met him he had a big group of friends um he seemed like he was admired completely yeah but through our relationship he started losing friends for the way he's been he was very um rash with them very dominant character with them and they just couldn't hack it anymore his mood swings i mean i remember one time his friend was playing tennis with him and his friend was a little bit late and he just caused an absolute ruckus with him and his friend was like it's not even worth being around him because he's just it's like he can't control his anger even with me yeah um thankfully that was one friend that came on a couple holiday with us later down the line and he could support me but yeah jeez and when you were saying about the everything starting great and then all of a sudden walking in eggshells, I I went out with somebody like that as well. Yeah. I am by no means sitting here saying I'm perfect. I have, mm. like, I do not think that at all. But looking back, I'm like, fuck's sake, that's what I, that happened to me as well. One on a much smaller scale. No, no, Two, I never felt at any point. It's a different sort of power dynamic, isn't it? Mm. Male and female. Mm. But I can recognise the patterns. Everything was great, everything was sound, and then all of a sudden, 
you go out for a drink and you're getting screamed at down the phone. And at the, uh, the, a young age, you can oh, there's a wee squirrel running about your back garden. Sorry, that's the old ADHD <laughs> kicking Telling in. Telling him have a listen. <laughs> I know, a squirrel and a horse. In my head now, I'm going to be like, I wonder if these two are pals. Um, aye, but it was fucking nuts. And then it was a silent treatment and getting patched and making yeah. you think I'm going to be going out with somebody else and stuff. And you're like, fucking really not worth it. But it takes you a long time. I suppose with the passage of time to be able to look back in that. Um, You said you brushed for a baby. Yeah, so this is madness. So that night that I wished to be pregnant, um, two weeks later, I was in Spain and with his mum and dad in their holiday home. And I was like, I think I'm pregnant. This is weird. I feel like I'm pregnant. And this is the weirdest part. I wasn't being that cautious with... um, contraception for the whole time I met him and so that this for this to happen on the week that I had begged for it to happen was is just like mind-blowing to me but anyway lo and behold I go into Spain find out I'm pregnant and I'm three weeks pregnant so the week that I pray to be pregnant I must have fell pregnant which is just completely mental in my brain because I'm like how 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 and I know people are gonna probably listen to me as but like that's just coincidence you are crazy you've turned into a witch (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's probably how but yeah I know literally but I begged the universe for a baby and they gave me a baby okay um and I truly believe now that I had Brooklyn to get me out if it wasn't for him I'd probably still be there for sure. He gave me the purpose to leave. Ah. Huh? Often, yes, a wee, a wee Uno reverse card there. Because <laughs> usually know. it's like, there's a cultural reference because I've never played Uno in my life, but it's somehow infiltrated into my brain. I'm not pushing on anyone that's in an abusive relationship to get pregnant, by the way. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah no, we, would, we would very much advise against that. Yeah. But wow, what a surprise. Um, what was his mum and dad? Kind of like, did they cop on to him? Or? Uh, yeah, no. Um, they supported me completely, especially his mum. Um, when I first had met him, like, I think they just knew what I was dealing with. Yeah. And are these biscuits for eating, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Yes, you go. You. <laughs> Sorry, apologies uh, for uh, you listening for interrupting, but I've been eyeing these up for ages. On you go. Um. Yeah. No, they definitely did know, and they comforted me a lot of the times, especially with the arguments. Um. There'd be times that I would call his. His mum was my protocol, because I didn't want my mum and dad to know. Oh fuck. I felt like if my mum and dad knew, they would be being like, "Get the hell out of there," and. I didn't want to get the hell out of there. Are you joking me? So the only person that I would ever phone in arguments or when he would drive off and leave me for a day, I mean, that was typical, him blocking me and then leaving me for 24 hours while I was pregnant. That was just a typical day. Um, I would phone his mum. His mum would be my go-to woman. And I would just be cowling on the phone to her, being like, please get your son to come home to me. I'm what trying to not stress out. What would she say? Um, go back to your mum and dad. And I'd be like, I can't, because if I tell my mum and dad, they're going to tell me to get the fuck out of there. I actually really sympathise with that woman. Yeah, no, for sure. She was, she was. Do you know what? I Sounds can't, like a good person. She was a great person, and I feel like she knew as a woman that it was breaking me. She could yeah. see anyone could see. I mean, my friends started to click on because I've started becoming a recluse and not seeing my friends. I would say it took quite cinnamon. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, Smelt the, the reason, yeah, that's because I was sniffing the biscuit there. <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered what it was. 
<laughs> Sorry. See, you have, these are meant to think that I'm like some fucking slick professional here and I'm actually just snapping biscuits and going, oh, there's a squirrel. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but she's a woman and she's realising. Yeah, and I feel like my... I feel like just, yeah, as a woman, she just knew that she needed to comfort me because I wasn't going to turn to mum and dad. And I just, yeah, I wasn't ready to leave him. I felt like I had to fix him. For the first year, I truly believed he just needed me to fix him. And I'm an empath, so I heal. Um, And so I would get him vitamins. I would Google every problem under the sun that would maybe cause rage. I would beg him to get some anger management. Never happened. Needs therapy. Um, and yeah, I I was wanting to try and fix him. I truly believe he was just a little bit broken and a little bit sad, and that's why he was angry at me all the time. You can look at it for two ways, can't you? You can you can condemn and be the sort of draconian <laughs> in your approach and be like, nah, jail, yeah, fuck you, fuck off, cop on, yeah. But that's not going to resolve anything, is it? No, it has to be. First of all, I suppose an acceptance. Because on the other side, you could be like, oh, well, how about you just come in and we'll give you a wee hug in a therapist chair? Mm-hmm. Probably a mix of both. Yeah. You need accountability, you need consequence, but you also need to be like, right, why is this happening? Because that's not normal behaviour. 100%. And I feel like that is why, like, this is what I kind of write in my book as well. Someone that's toxic has to understand that they are toxic. They have to understand they're hurting. Someone coming into their life cannot fix them so if you're listening and you think that you're with someone toxic you can't fix them they physically it's just impossible they internally have to realize that they are toxic to then try and be a better person and fix themselves i'm not saying they can fix themselves but it's a good stepping ground you coming in and you give them more love and affection and i don't know what else but everything you're trying to give them it will not work it'll just make them worse probably a point to encourage self-reflection as well because I mean, I suppose the word toxic has these connotations and synonyms of, like, a real extremity. Yeah. But we've all been toxic to somebody. Oh, yeah. At oh, some point. And it's 100%. always... So I'm, if I've been toxic to you, I'm really sorry. Yeah, no, I'm the same. <laughs> I I mean, my childhood relationships, I can't say I was picture perfect at all. I you mean, learn emotion, as you go. You do. And your emotions are wild at that time. So if, like, you are just the most insecure little bundle of emotion and hormones and everything, like... Yeah, sorry if I was toxic to you too. Like I, I wasn't perfect mm-hmm. at all. But there's a difference between not being perfect and breaking someone. Yeah, yeah. And plus if there's a repetition of the same habits exactly. and behaviours. Which I know happened in his past as well. I know I'm not just the first. So how, how did you break the news when you realised you were pregnant? Did it get the reaction that you hoped it might? No, it wasn't quite the gonna launch her up in the air and be like oh my god we're a happy family it was just very subdued like okay we'll work with it we'll we'll have the baby it was all just very subdued um but i would say the first 24 hours i was like wow my plan's gonna work like he he's looking at me like he loves me and yeah i think this is gonna be great um i was wrong (laughs) You can't be fucking blocking something disappearing for 24 hours. And yeah. I, and do you know what the worst part is? I had hyperemesis. So I was sick constantly. Like I'm talking, I couldn't keep down. I was hospitalized three times. Like I was ill, ill. Um, And the abuse just was unmatched. Like it was about 
four months into my pregnancy and I just felt like I wasn't perfect. I felt like he didn't love me. I felt like I was even more alone than I had ever been. And I remember trying to connect with the bump, but I was so distraught with what was going on that I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, I actually think one day I'm going to be a single mom. Like, like I can't, like, what, am, what have I done? Um, and I think a lot of my time, cause, I mean, like, it's, like you're saying, like times that he would block me on everything and run off for 24 hours. But just for, for no reason, just like, start a fight, fuck you, I'm away. It would be simplest little things like, he can't find his key and I'm telling him, well, it was put there. And then he'd be like, well, it's clearly not. And it'd be all hell breaks loose. Um, and it was just this constant battle of just want a calm day and it was never was. Um, my birth story isn't even any better, but um, I think once I had Brooklyn and he was witnessing me be, being scared and I knew I wasn't being the best potential mum, I wasn't being the strong independent mum that I always wanted to be. Mm. I knew that I had to start building up the courage to one day leave. Like that's when I had it in my head. I was like, one day you're gonna leave. I know you're petrified and you're not gonna do it now, but you're gonna do everything that you can to one day leave. And I think from his birth, that's when I started, my mindset's changed. Oh. What was the, you said the birth story? Birth story was horrendous. Birth was horrendous. Um, It was during COVID time and- That was it, a good laugh on it. Oh, that was a, Great time. Have a baby. I mean, I think everyone had babies in COVID now. If we've got any two-year-olds listening, COVID was a thing that happened. <laughs> Can I know that long ago? Um, ask your mum. Google it. <laughs> Just don't ask me. I don't want to talk about it. Um, and when I was in labour, I remember this wasn't going to be how it is in the movies. I wasn't going to get my head rubbed or my hand held or I wasn't going to be asked if I was okay. He just sat on his phone. He was worrying about things off his furlough. He had a business at the time and everything was going a bit pitong then. And he just wasn't focused on me at all. I was in excruciating pain. I mean, obviously. Pitong, if you're listening, we're really sorry. Oh, yes. That your name continuously is used to describe something that was go, bad. Go. I feel fucking terrible for that guy. And yeah. What's he ever done? I know. So I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, I interrupted so inappropriately there. Yeah, you weren't getting your head dropped. Just not the way that you would hope. Yeah, that, no. That, that and it, basically, long story short, I get whisked to theatre because he's facing the wrong way. And I remember being absolutely terrified. You're on a hospital bed. You've got a surgeon in between your legs. And you've just got all these nurses around you. And it just feels so daunting. And I've got tears down my face and I am panicking. And the nurse looked to him and went, can you please just hold her hand? Please hold her hand. And he went, I can't, I can't, and walked away. So this anesthetia, bless her heart, she held my head and she just looked in my eyes the whole time. And I had a strange woman talking me through my birth of my child. And I just remember thinking, God, I love you. How <laughs> Thank lovely you. is she? Oh, I know. Um, and I just wish, like, it was a different way of it happening because I just, I remember, even there was no like, well done, babe, you've done so amazing after that. Or I'm so proud of you. There was none of that. There was none of it. Am I, am I Disneyfying this too much? But as he walks away and says, I can't, and you have another person, essentially a stranger, giving you that support yeah. and love, is there a bit where you go, ding? 
uh, no, not in that moment. I'm just thinking, th- I'm so thankful for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thankful that you're holding my head and looking at my eyes and trying to talk me through it. Um, yeah. What you kind of wish it was the person that you love, but yeah. it wasn't. What about the aftermath and like the, the days that follow? It was all me. Um, it was all me. I was the person that was up every single night. I was the person that was up during the day. Um, I looked like death. <laughs> I had no help, and he was. Go- I don't. He was. He was going through a stressful time at the time with his company, um, but I mean, I remember times when I would go into the kitchen to try and get the baby milk, and I would be told to fuck off back upstairs, even though the baby would be wanting milk, and um, I would just cry because I'd be like, I just want to f- like, I just want to feel like I can be at home and I can do what I want. But even in moments like that, and he's in a rage, I can't just simply go in the kitchen and get some milk because he's too stressed out in the kitchen. Like, go fuck off back up the stairs. <laughs> yeah, no. If you want, I wish I could go say those things now. Yeah. Like, I really wish I could. But at the time, I just I, my only instinct was just to cry and be like, I'll just wait <sighs> until he's finished his mood. Um, That's terrible. There was one time, so we basically sold up the house, um, and moved in with my parents. We decided we're gonna try and build on the farm but also there was money gambled anyway um moved into my parents and they realized on how much I was struggling and how much I was doing all the night feeds all the day feeds um and my mum brought up maybe on a Saturday morning he could maybe help out and I could get an hour's rest and his words were if she's so fucking bothered why didn't she do it to your mum it was too much so it was actually to our couple of friends um oh i just like there's no yeah, fucking way <laughs> they're a couple of friends <coughs> um, you don't you don't mess with your yeah oh, partner's but d- dad but no, your no, mum even he, less so no he did he messed with them fucking hell um but my parents so when we lived in the house he did torment them but he his plan i i truly believe his plan was if he torments them that much he'll tell my dad will tell him to fuck off and I'll follow f- suit with him with the child. My dad didn't want that. He thought, he kind of started gathering what was going on. He could see that I wasn't Kirsty anymore. I was a shadow of myself. But I was refusing to admit it. I was refusing to let them know that he was anything but broken. He was just a broken bad guy. He wasn't meaning bad. Um, so he started tormenting them. In what way? Um, so my dad would walk through doorways and he would bash him. He would... You're fucking joking. No, he, there was one time there was no milk in the house. So he launched the car in to the sitting room and said, this is a fucking joke. Why the fuck is there no milk in the house? Yeah. Then ran away for a week to apartment block for £800 a week. No communication. He completely blocked me, everything over a carton of milk. But, I mean, I, again... Obviously, he's living for free with my mom yeah, and dad as well. The carton of milk was, I mean, the conduit for the anger to come out. But and but then, then what? And then came back. Came back on my mom's birthday. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? Like, I mean, um, to you, whenever you're listening, as I always say, if you're driving a car, are you walking a dog? Are you chasing squirrels like I am? <laughs> Can you fucking believe this? Like, are you as shocked as me? Um, like, uh, what? Oh, he's called. He's. We, I've been sat on the sofa with my mum and he's called us cunts. 
I'm not, I'm not no, laughing. I find no. it funny. I'm, Trust me, I laugh a bit at now because I'm like, how the hell did we all keep our calm? Like my dad even mentions it. He's like, how the hell did we get through that with such a calm energy? But the way he talks about it now is he was like, I was trying to keep my little girl beside me because if I had told him to get out the house you would have went away with him and it's true I would have and yeah it's it's them laughing and I think what's the world is it incredulity like you just can't believe I know I cannot believe that it's almost like uh a sketch show chewing the fat by the way Kirsty had never heard of chewing the fat yeah no no which I was pretty annoyed about (laughs) almost packed up and left (laughs) There's a there's a sketch in Tune of Fat where it's like a guy goes to meet his uh, partner's parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, at what age do you start saying partner? Yeah, I know. I actually <laughs> had this conversation with my friend. So I think it's like 27, 28. Girlfriend, boyfriend just seems so yeah, like... Uh, what's that? You and your girlfriend? Oh, you've gone to the school disco together, is it? Because that's... I, mean, it's I remember thing. listening to adults talk about partners and I'm like, Jesus Christ, they're old. Yeah, I know. I'm at new We're at that age. <laughs> Are you a couple of fucking like opposite wisecracking detectives yeah. like, out trying to solve the case? Me and my partner are on it. Um <laughs> By an inch in the fact, and he goes to meet the partner, and he's he's a pure asshole to them, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Fucking hell!" He's like, "This laminated menus, what a shit you! No wonder you picking the bill up. I no wonder you've chose here. What an absolute dive!" And then it, it culminates in the dad battering fuck it the the guy, and that is almost like something that a tune the fat throwing the milk and. Like what the fuck? You would get. You would oh. just expect to be absolutely arse and necked out the door. Especially if you're living for free with your gro- with your partners. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is not. Partner. What's the word I would use? It's not a rough patch, is it? This no. place. It's not a terrible place to to, no, to live. No, it's very there is calm. A, there's a there's like a a lot we're in. I mean, we're in a lodge on the grounds of the house. It's like the size of a fucking detached house. <laughs> so yeah, not as if you're living in pure discomfort or squalor. No. Um, ah, it's like, I fucking believe that. But no, but there'd be times. I mean, that's that's very little. That's nothing. Um, Give us the worst of it that you're willing to share that you don't feel um, uncomfortable with. I mean, there'd be time. I mean, even just to get like a, a grasp of what it'd be like, he would um, come to the dinner table with his hood up. And he would refuse to speak. To, so my dad would ask him a question and he would refuse to speak. And that would be the indication that you don't speak to him. And that would be, like, just leave him alone. Would you not be embarrassed for, like, he, even that's your a, own... That's the thing. He wasn't ever embarrassed. And that's what I couldn't understand. Like, he acted like a toddler having a tantrum all the time. Um, and I was constantly making excuses for him. So my dad would be like, what's wrong with him today? Constantly. And I would just make up a random excuse to be like, oh... He's he's struggling with his employee, or I would just make up an excuse because I'm like I can't bear to the fact to say to my dad I actually have no fucking clue on why he's acting like that. Imagine working for him. Oh, um, I mean his employees won't have a nice thing to say about him. That's um, I know that for not um, mm. so much. Jesus Christ. Um, but he also like what I would say is he put the fear in me as well by like so obviously there was holes in the walls and smashed up phones so I knew his temper, but. The one thing that I most feared was being in the car when he had a temper. You mentioned this to me. Yeah. Um, and it took me a while to get over this, you know. Um, yeah, a long, long time, actually. And I probably still have a little bit of it. I think if I'd got a new partner and they showed rage in a car, I'd be like, get me out. <laughs> get me out. Um, but the probably the worst time that I've ever had with him 
um, was we were staying with his mum and dad for two weeks. It was planned for two weeks. We lasted 24 hours. And one night he had a run-in with his dad. So his dad was like, just leave. So we all packed up about half night at night and got into the car. And it was um, on the long stretch of Perth Highway. You the know A9? the one? Yeah, I think it's the A9. It's the between, one between Octorada and Perth. Aye, aye, I think I know you're talking You know talking the one? About. Yeah. Um... So it's late at night, it's dark, it's no, I think it's November time, and it is November time. And I'm in the back seat with Brooklyn, who's four months old, yeah, something like that. And he's fallen asleep, thankfully. And I could tell by his eyes. So the thing is, when he shows rage, his eyes go black. I can't describe it, I don't know why it happens, but his eyes change colour to dark. And I could see his eyes in the mirror and I was like, oh my God, like he's, he's acting loopy. He starts to slow the car down to almost the fact we're not even moving. And then he just full on pelts the um, accelerator to like extreme speed. So like we've just jolted forward and we're going like so fast. But this is a highway where there's no barrier, like some parts there's no barrier yeah. to the right other side of the road. And I remember thinking, holy shit, like, how do I calm him down? So I sat off my seatbelt and I said, can I drive the car? I'll get us back to um, our home. He said, shut shut the fuck up and sit down. And I knew, in, I know these moments, if I don't sit down and shut the fuck up, it's going to make it so much worse. So I just have to embrace, like, I will make that rage worse. So I'm thinking, holy hell, like, I just got to hope that he's going to calm down after a few of these, whatever he's doing. Um, he does it one more time. He then goes down to like a really slow space and he, I can see him eyeing up the other side of the road. And I think, please, God, no. I, I, it's like almost like you're seeing your life in someone else's shoes. Like, I honestly felt like I was looking down at someone else's life. I was like, this can't actually be happening to me. And I now think that's probably what people think when they're probably going to be killed or they think when they're in a really bad situation, like, this can't be happening to me. And... Um, I then knew what he was doing. He was going to torment my life because I think he uses his hurt in a different way to hurt me. Um, and obviously the biggest way to hurt me would be to threaten my life while my baby's in the car. So then there was a car coming on the other side of the road and he then just goes full pelt, puts his accelerator down. And I just embraced. I went and looked at Brooklyn and I thought... Right, so the only way for me to get out of this and for him to survive is me to shield his body with my body. Took my seatbelt off and I was embracing for the fact that if he saw something coming, we were going to be gone. Um, he had no fear of like, he was thinking like, that's it. Like, what if, like, I just, I, he constantly threatened his life with, with me and like constantly threatened to like kill himself. So I thought he doesn't give a shit about his life. And I know for a fact he doesn't give a shit about mine. Um, so I thought that was, I honestly thought that night that was it. Um, Do I take a wee second? Yeah. Um, Let's take a wee pause. That must be so, I can see it in your face and mm. hearing your voice and I didn't want to let you go further into feeling sad. Mm. And my instinct is kind of to pause it, but... No, it's fine. Uh, yeah, um, I just want you to take a wee second um, <laughs> because that's that's the reality. And the but I don't, yeah. like the thing is, right, I don't know if he 
would have actually killed us that night but the f- like in that moment I genuinely thought I wasn't going to make it home the threat the threat of it's enough yeah and I think even like in my head like now looking back I'm like why was I in the situation where I was having to think about how I was going to save my little boy in a car that I can't stop no. like I can't actually think of the time I, I couldn't think of anything else that I could do apart from use my body to, to protect him um honestly I was I mean I'm just having to relive this no, I'm squirm, fucking squirming in my seat because mm. you, you don't want to hear I mean it's one thing to hear about that but to to see it written across somebody's face but I mean yeah I, I don't want to fill silence with with pointless words <laughs> yeah, no, do you know what I mean I think it's that's impactful enough but yeah it, it did take me a long long time but he he done it again um he done it again. We were on our way to meet his mum at soft play and he started trading and he lost the trade. And I could see the same same evil look in his eye and he'd done the exact same thing, broad daylight, put his foot right down. I begged him to stop. And I actually remember out speaking myself this time and I went, please slow the fuck down. Please stop. Let us out. He locked the car door, door and said, you're not getting fucking out and giggled. And I remember thinking, holy shit, yeah. And I I remember thinking, he's fucking crazy. Um, Because the way he, he, the way he looked at me, the way he laughed, like I just, I was like, oh my God. And I'm begging to get out of the car. I'm playing, please stop. Um, We get to the soft play with his mum and I'm silent. I'm so silent. I'm like, why did I not just tell her that he just tried to run me off a road and like, Honestly, he was zooming past cars. He was having to go in and out cars. Cars are beeping. I'm like, oh, I just wish I could have just said her there, being like, please don't let us go back in that car. You know, like I was saying earlier, that you can take two sides of looking at something and one could be understanding and one could be condemnation. And there, there is a reason or an explanation for everything. Yeah. People often conflate explanation with justification. <clears throat> He's not justifying it. And for that, you're like, nah, that's just... But no compassion is going to be given at this point. Yeah. Because th- what yeah. what the hell are you doing? It's it's taking pure twisted enjoyment out of torturing you. I know. And uh, do you know what? When I talked about to my mum about doing this podcast, like I almost felt guilty because he's now being nice to me at this in this period of time while we're co-parent. And she said, "You're in the cycle. You're talking about the cycle that you're preaching about. If you." you're going to be back into being despised soon and then you're going to kick yourself for not speaking your story. He wanted to hurt you. He damaged you and I've got my Kirsty back. You're going to speak your story and you're going to make sure that anyone that's going through what you've been through, you're going to try and save some people. And yeah, I think my mum and dad knew my purpose before I did as well. Um, my dad was the one that encouraged me to do my book. Um these two sound like they're great the, they're angels. I mean, the ex won't say the same words, but anyone that meets my parents, they are god gifts. And I mean, my dad has cradled so many panic attacks in the last two years, and I can't thank him enough. It sounds to me as if your mum and especially your dad um, completely love and support you without trying to exert any ownership over you. Yeah, you know, like dads can sometimes yeah. do that as if like. I mean, right, I mean, I'm getting, oh, here comes the feminist, but I read a thing the other day and it was like, 
dad's giving away their daughter at a wedding. Yeah. That's tradition. People can do that. But it's a legitimate point to be like, well, I'm not your fucking property to give away. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I get that. And I feel the same about surnames when people get married. Oh, yeah. If you want to take your husband's name, brilliant, magic, on you go. But if you don't, then I'm like, fair enough, man. That's your name. Yeah. Like, that's your whole identity. And you just in that, just one wee snippet, I'm like, aye, so it's not, he loves and supports you, but doesn't act as if he owns you, an adult woman with your own child. 100%. Um, don't get me wrong. If I was to go back now, he would probably, oh, he would probably strap me to bed and be like, you're not leaving. You lock cannot. Lock you in this luxury Yeah, lodge. literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, don't lock me in here. Um, Shite. Oh, it's a fucking PlayStation and everything. I don't even yeah. play the PlayStation that still. Tell me you've got ADHD without telling me. <laughs> <laughs> There's another squirrel. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, he would lock you in. He would. Um, what I mean, great to have those people but in But do you know corner. what's mad? What do you know what's mad? I came across <coughs> a lot of people while I was with him. And the amount of people that had approached me after I had been with him and left him, being like, um, I knew something was wrong. So we gave up a dog. This is mad. We gave up a dog to this lady and I was with him at the time because we were having Brooklyn. He was just a bit hyperactive. And she, I went to give her baby clothes about six months later after I'd broken up with him. And she said, where's the, where's your partner that you're with? And I went, oh, I broke up with him. And she went, hallelujah. She went, um, when I seen you for that split 15 minutes, you looked like you were a broken woman and you looked scared. And I was like, how did you know? How did you, how did you see it? And she was like, it's written all over your face. And that's what my mom and dad said as well. God. Like People even my friends, just even the work colleagues, like I said, like everyone could just see it in my, fr- my face. Your energy must have been so dulled. Yeah, it happened in Bali. It happened in Bali um, on the last week. He went up to the hotel room and I was sunbathing. There was a woman next to me and I was silent crying. I, l- I had a good act at silent crying because I wasn't allowed to cry. And so I silent cried. I didn't actually realise I, I just made it a thing now that I silent cry because I wasn't allowed to cry. So I would just let tears fall. So that's what I was doing anyway. And she looked at me and she said, are you okay? Do you want to go for a little swim? And you know what? I was like, absolutely. Like, I feel like I've had no human contact. I need some someone to just go in the pool with. And this is one part that really broke me. She basically took me to the infinity pool and she looked at me and she said, you represent what I was about five years ago when I was in a physical abuse relationship. She went, please tell me you're not getting beaten up. I went, no, 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 it's nothing like that. Um, and she went, Izzy, are you scared? And I said, yeah. And she went, that's enough to leave. Yeah. Please promise me that when you go home, you leave. And I think she could tell, even though through my nods, that I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She knew that I wasn't going to. It just it takes you to get to a certain point, doesn't yeah. it? Before I ask what that point was, was there any, any everybody saying afterwards, oh, yeah. We kind of realised it's a, it's a it's a complex one for people to approach. It Did is. anybody sort of approach that subject with you? What, about leaving? Yeah, or to um, say they knew something was wrong. Yeah, it was actually our couple friend's partner. Um, she saw, so we basically lived in Dubai for about a couple of months. And when I came home, my mum noticed as well, I was a shell of myself. But it's because when I was in Dubai, the abuse was horrendous because I was on my own. Um, but we met with our couple of friends when we came back for Christmas and we went to a light show 
and she simply asked me, are you okay when he and his friend were walking um, ahead and I just broke down. I just was like, yeah, no, I'm not okay. And she went, I've never seen you look so ill. Um, Are you going to tell your mum? What are you going to tell your mum? She didn't really know much at this point. And I just broke down and I said, I'm absolutely terrified of him. I have I don't know who I am anymore I've lost all sense of purpose I was like I actually don't know if I can feel any emotion apart from fear um I now at this now that I know the the scientific reason behind it I realized that my cortisol levels were obviously super duper high because I was just living in a constant tremor clenched jaw um you, you said that a couple of times clenched jaw do you mean you're just physically uptight like at all times you're shivering that so it's like when you're out in the cold see when you're you're shivering that much that your jaw clenches and it feels like you can't talk properly like that's literally what i'd have daily um i mean i went to doctors i thought i had a brain tumor so the physical symptoms of what he caused to me i actually thought i had a brain tumor and got blood stunned because yeah i thought i was dying I had blurred vision, memory loss. Oh my God, my short-term memory was horrendous. And I, yeah, just everything. Like I just felt ill, I was losing weight. And I was like, oh my God, I, there's something drastically wrong yeah. here. When my blood came back normal, um, I was like, oh my God, what? Like, I don't understand. But then it's the, it's, it's the symptoms of emotional yeah. abuse. Now it's probably a good point because if somebody's reached this far, yeah, this they're either, yeah, they're either the very ramble. interested or maybe it's they can re- it's resonating with them. Yeah. Um, now, physical violence um, <clears throat> and physical abuse is very obviously covered by Scots and UK law. Yeah. Which have variations, but for the most part, are pretty much one and the same. Um, but the Domestic Abuse Act was passed in Scotland on the 1st of April 2019. It's basically legislation that criminalises psychological domestic abuse, coercive and controlling behaviour. Mm-hmm. Now let's take a wee look through like types of coercive control because we've obviously spoken about them, yeah, um, ca- casually somewhat. But if yeah. you know we can list them, so essentially it's a type of controlling behaviour, isolating you from your family or friends, yeah, controlling what you eat, where or do. Did you have those types of things? So there'd be comments made. So there'd be comments made about what I was eating. So if I was seeming to eat too much or, yeah, there, it, there was comments. Yeah. Um, especially putting weight on and stuff as well. Controlling who you are allowed to see or spend time with. There was with. always comments made about friends or what, so the way he would do it with me as well is if I had went to see friends, the way I, when I came back to see him, he would always be in a mood. There would always be a meltdown. And it became apparent that it was every time I went away from his side to see friends, that when I came back, he was in a... It's a huff. A huff, yeah. T- Times a million, yeah. a huff so on So then steroids. I stopped. I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave. Um, preventing you from accessing support. Gaslighting. Gaslighting oh. is a word that has been... A couple of home truths getting delivered to you. Yeah, yeah, go. Has been flung about by fucking wee assholes. Yes, I know. Who then diminish the real meaning. And I feel like that's the same with narcissism. That, yeah, gaslighting, narcissism. Yeah. My trauma. Yeah. Like, words carry weight. Yeah. And the more you use them flippantly, 
blase and nonchalantly to lose their meaning. But gaslighting in its purest form is to treat you one way and then tell you you're nuts and you're imagining it. Yeah. Which is, yeah, as far, that, that's no fucking no texting you back, by the way. I've seen fucking people say that. It's <laughs> gaslighting me. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, literally. But yeah, yeah sorry, we aggressive outburst there, but it kind of annoys me. <laughs> um, this is gaslighting. Monitoring your behaviour online or in person. Mm-hmm. Um, tracking you. Using your phone or your car, controlling your finances. Finances was heavily. Were you tied in? Heavily. So, oh my God, yes, heavily. Um, I mean, at the end of our relationship, my Rolex was in a pawn shop and I had personal debt of about 40 grand. Whoa. <laughs> right, we're going to we'll look at okay, set aside 10 minutes. We're going to have to dive into this one. Yeah. Um, my dad saved me thank you dad um obviously a horrified dad but yeah finances horrifically (coughs) um excuse me yeah he it was he was just constantly chasing the highs of having money and the finer things in life if that meant me having a personal loan to my name that meant that um me out speaking him and saying no isn't an option as you know, yeah. You want my pawn, my watch for a pawn shop? Here you go. Um, it's the one you're wearing. It's the one I'm wearing. Dad's bought it twice. <laughs> See, it's beautiful. It's really nice. Um, poor like dad. It. But yeah, so yeah, finances. I didn't have any control of the finances. I had no clue what was coming out. You mentioned um, just it was a throwaway comment. Yeah. You said you lost money on a trade. Yeah. That makes me think that it's financial trading, yes. trading stocks and shares, which essentially is a form of gambling. Yeah, so he was a gambler. So this is what I think also caused his rage and outburst. I mean, I'm not, he's always obviously been the way he has, but it makes him worse. He was a gambler badly, and then he turned into trading um, currency. Yeah, Forex trading and yeah. stuff. Not one of those that posts on Instagram being like, hi guys. But yeah, pay two hundred pounds for my second. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> no, not one of those. Are you though? But if things weren't going his like right or his way, holy God, like if it was if just. If you don't have the temperament to do a job like that, then yeah, just don't do it. Yeah. And it was causing her. It was just. It made everything even more of a bomb scare, to be honest. And God, you ended up saddled with all that. Yeah. Jesus Christ, we'll not go too far into that because that's a yeah, sensitive one. Um. Further examples of what is classed as coercive control, and this is not a definitive list, there's far more to this. Emotionally or physically threatening or intimidating you. I think punching walls and stuff is sufficient to to be categorised as that. Threatening to disclose information about you publicly. That is a really Mm. complex one. Yeah, nah, never. Humiliating or degrading you. Yeah. Repeatedly putting you down, making you feel fearful or scared of non-compliance. So, I mean, this law in Scotland anyway, it's, it's uh, this legislation that came into force about th- <coughs> just coming up for four years. Uh, at that time, it was now First Minister, then Justice Secretary Hamza Yousaf. As he said, the Domestic Abuse Act makes absolutely clear that coercive and controlling behaviour is domestic abuse and a crime. It's no longer a domestic... That's what the police used to say. Yeah. Ah, it was a wee domestic dispute. Yeah. Now it's it's punishable by law. You're looking at a fucking custodial sentence if prosecuted and, and convicted, which shows that for anybody who's thinking that they're they're trapped or they've nowhere to go, 
the law is the law is on your side. The government yeah. is on your side. Hundred um, percent. And don't think because it's just shouting or anything like that, that and there's no bruises that you, you're not, it's not valid. It's like, wrong. Yeah. It's fucking wrong. If uh, I mean there are, there are a number of charities. You've got Refuge. I mean you can Google these. Refuge they protect women from abuse. Uh, a domestic abuse charity. Uh, women's Aid. .org.uk is worth having a look at. You've got the National Domestic Abuse Helpline. Yeah, that's one I used to call when I was in... Really? Yeah, I used to call quite a few times. When how, I was would, in, how would... Were they with you? They were great. They were very, very great. Um, and made me feel heard massively when I needed to feel heard, when I didn't have yeah. the support system that I was wanting to reach out for. You've... Uh, I, can, I mean, I don't, have, I don't attract these types of people. There may be one or two going like, men, men get abused as well. <laughs> no, they yeah, do. That's, they absolutely do. No, they absolutely do. I've <laughs> had a few men that, because, I mean, before I used to try and on my Instagram talk about my story and then I would delete it straight away because I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so scared. Yeah, did wasn't I not ready. catch one and ask you? I was like, what's going on? Yeah, I think I was, I just wasn't mentally ready. I yeah, don't think I was... because it was deleted within seconds, but I was like, yeah. Kirsty, what was that? Yeah, literally. And I would do it a few times. So I was like, I know this is my purpose. I know this is my calling. But I just don't think I was ready. Um, the fear over yeah. overran me. Well, with men, you've got Mankind Initiative as well. But the others um, do support men. You've got mensadviceline.org.uk as well. You've got victimsupport.org.uk. You've got um, even citizens' advice um, that can that can kind of help you in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of just further touch on that point that I was saying about men. Um Last year, right in the UK, these statistics come from ons.gov.uk, so they can be yeah. verified and you can, I'm not just making them up. Um, it's important to see where you get your information from. So last year, 2.2 million people in the UK were victims of recorded domestic abuse and violence from their partner. Now think of the amount that doesn't go reported. Yeah. So you can maybe, you could, you could very realistically triple or quadruple that number and yeah. maybe still not even be close. Um, but it's never discussed for reasons which are so clear and obvious embarrassment shame yeah fear fear and i think you haven't like you sitting here with me letting me eat your biscuits (laughs) is i think it's testament one to how far you've come yeah yeah massively but also the strength that you possess but it's also it's very it's like altruistic um in the sense where you're like i would like to stand as a, a signpost yeah. where there previously was none or few anyway mm-hmm. um, and I suppose that with the book as well you, you're obviously getting a catharsis yeah. from it and healing but it's very admirable. Yeah I think what I really want to prove to myself like when I would try and outspeak him when I was in a relationship with him I would either get told I'm going um, to go kill myself or it would end in like four days of silent treatment Um but now that I am in the position where I'm not with him, I want to prove to myself and anyone that is going through something that is relatable to this, that there is an end of the tunnel and you can use your voice again. You can be the person that you used to be and your strength isn't gone forever. Yeah, it really isn't. Yeah, very profound. Yeah. What, how did you, as we're kind of getting to the, yeah, the further end. along the timeline. Yeah. What, was there a point where you just thought, enough? Enough's enough. Yeah. yeah. 
2021 January talking about talk, starting a year strong oh wow yeah do you remember the actual date uh, 19th of January <sighs> two days oh is it that's yeah. madness yeah two days were coming up so that'll <laughs> be three madness. years um he was flying out to Dubai and I decided he should go solo and when he is out in Dubai I'll break it off with him because that's less fearful for me he's in a different country if I can break it off while he's in a different country then that I mean I'm at ease sure well took that easier bill. well he turned off at my door 24 hours later <laughs> oh fuck really cut the yeah. holiday shot literally um but it was my first time I'd ever spoke outspoken him yeah so when he had left for Dubai I had told I then told my mom and dad everything sat them down on a sofa I written my notes about everything he did because I couldn't outspeak it I, oh. I, I couldn't use my words so I wrote my notes I've still got the note Poor you, your poor um, mum and dad. I know, it was heartbreaking for them. I could see it in their eyes. My mum teared up. Um, and it, the note said, everything he's done, I've still got it. And it was bullet points of everything he's done. I mean, there'd be a time, I mean, I think the top of the note was when he was six months old, he lost his shit at me at his mum and dad's. Uh, Brooklyn was stuck in the car and I had to get Brooklyn out the window of the car and he left us for 45 minutes. Um, yeah, it was horrific. So then, yeah, this whole note was just like a whole note of just key points of like what I've been through so they could grasp on what it actually was they were dealing with. Um, And then they just said, right, this is what's going to happen. You're going to break it off with them. We're going to support you 110%. And we're going to get you back because you're not Kirsty right now. And I'm so thankful that you've spoken out right now. And they were just, they were just, they just kind of hugged me for a good half an hour and mm. really grateful. When I broke it off of them, hell broke loose and hell broke loose for a good two years. Um, I'm talking suicide attempts. Um, Genuine attempts? Who knows? Um, three, one on Mother's Day, one on Boxing Day. Um, Mother's Day, I mean, what timing? Um... I mean, I would know about every single one of them. He would tell me. Um, I would get a goodbye email or message or letter. And don't get me wrong, every single time that I got those messages, it broke me because I'm thinking, how could I be hurting someone so much that they want to take their life? Like, that's that's just not what who I want to be. And You aren't hurting anybody. And that's what, it's truly what I believed. And my mum and dad were trying to tell me, like, this is him, this is on him. And I was like, I don't want someone's blood on my hands. I really don't. So then I would go back to pandering to him and, yeah, trying to make him feel better. Um, And I think that's what I knew was going to happen. I knew when I was going to leave him, things, it was scarier leaving him than being with him. And I knew this was going to happen. I knew that yeah. he was going to kick up a fuss. And the fuss is what he kicked up. It was then a constant battle of love bombing, hatred, and love bombing again, hatred. The hatred was the worst part. I mean, they sent me in turmoil. It would be abuse. It would be voice notes of abuse. Um, it was horrific. I had so many panic attacks. You have no idea. My dad, I remember one time I was in the sitting room and I just generally thought I was going to die. I was like, I can't breathe. And my poor dad has got me on his lap his 28 year old daughter on his lap stroking her face trying to be like breathe um it was traumatic for all of us and that's what I think I, as well like I'm not just saying like I'm only a victim my family had to go through so much shit um with me and yeah Do you, I've heard people say that 
when when the family a family has been involved in whatever it may be, yeah, they, they felt it was even worse for the family because they had no form of input or control in any sense. Hundred percent. They they word it as it was a horrible train crash, not knowing where the end destination is going to be, oh. and they just hoped that the next destination was the one I was going to get off at. And the the the, the suicide stuff and I'm sorry and pendulum swinging from extremity mm-hmm. to love to hatred, love to hatred. It's like, f- well, first of all, where was that poor me energy in yeah. the past when you were a, essentially a perpetrator of Exactly. I couldn't understand abuse. it. And I was like, why are you now loving me now? You've broke me. And it, why is it taking now for me, then me to be like, you're a narcissist. You have done all this to me. And he's like, I know, I know, I know. I'm like, well, if you knew, why did you not stop? You saw me breaking. I told you I wasn't eating. I told you, I, you told me to stop crying when I would tell you that you were hurting me. I mean, I, he would hear my body vibrate next to him in the bed and he'd be like, can you stop and fucking stop that? I can't sleep. And he knew it was over him. Like, you can't you can't tell me you love me. If that's, if that's the way you're, carrying yourself and conducting yourself then accept it reflect upon it and yeah. and and seek help yeah like look look for help then yeah. this is swinging back around to the more compassionate understanding you're doing that shit for a reason mm-hmm. doesn't justify it no. it doesn't it, it doesn't exonerate you from anything yeah you need to face up to that and you need to own it but what i do want to say is for the people that do go back i did go back um, so you think that you're healed and you think you've got away and they lure you back in and I got lured back in um, on his third suicide attempt about a month after I felt guilty, I felt sad I felt I owed him for me to be back together I'd broken our family up it was all me um, and I got went back <clears throat> and after about oh, I'm going to say four weeks it went back to straight how I, how I knew it was going to be um and then that was my breaking point that was my final time I was like you're in the end of my chapter this is it this is I'm done and that was you you just turned yeah. up and never looked back never looked back um no matter how much he tried no matter how much love bombing no matter I want to be with you no many it was it was done it was completely done I knew that no matter because he started getting um counseling and he convinced me the counseling had helped so I, I also was like Oh, that was believable. Yeah. Um, so when I did go back and he hadn't changed and I was still getting hurt and abused, I was thinking, wow. Like It was like my goggles had come off. And because I'd done so much spiritual healing in the year apart, yeah. I was like, I was so much more aware of what was going on. So when he was abusing me, I was like, no, I know what you're doing. You're manipulating me. I, that didn't happen. I just knew it was like, it was weird. It was like a flick of my head that was just like you're you're done. I think we sort of alluded to it, is this chemical change in your brain, and it's like a, it's like a drug of sorts. But yeah. it, much like in life <laughs> or recovery from addiction to any sort of substance or feeling, uh, progress is not linear. No, you will you ascend a massive height, and you might fall a wee bit, you might yeah. dip, but you're not going back to the original depths that you were at. hundred percent, and that's what it was like. It's like a, that graph in it, yeah. like a mountain range, and you're up and down, up and down, and eventually you get to a point where you can look down on everything so clearly and see it for what it is that you go, nah, no more. Yeah, that and that was literally what it was like. Um, I just, I just knew then, it was like, wow. I'm so ready. I'm so ready. I've honestly, I've got so much admiration 
for you, you. Um, and everything that you've kind of endured. Um, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here. My mum had me at 18. Yeah. And had a, this a lot of the same, uh, plus a, a significant dose of physical violence yeah. as well. And it's only as I get older and more life experienced and can I understand the world more in general. I still don't understand it at all, by the <laughs> way. For anybody that thinks I've got Trying. my shit together, I absolutely don't. Um, and the older I get, the more I see that for really for what it was. Yeah. And, you know, can I see a lot of you and her? She's 18, worked multiple jobs, went to uni, put herself through uni, Brought me up fairly well. I think I'm actually all right. You're all right. And I was renowned as a kid for being to the point where I'd freak people out with how adult I was in conversation mm. and how polite and conscientious and aware. Like I was, it would creep me out. I think if a kid was that switched on, I'd be like, can you like get him to fuck? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's making he's me not feel normal. He's making me feel really uncomfortable. But she did all that and moved us to England. To, to pursue work, gave me some unbelievable experiences, um, provided what I needed, <sighs> got it wrong a whole lot of times, as every I parent, yeah. every parent on the planet does. 100%. And I say, the older I get, I was talking about this recently, and I'm like, every single, I think every child on earth, every person, you know, we're a bit annoyed at things that happened when yeah. you were younger. And, but the older I get, and I'm like, when I see how things turned out and what she was up against and her personal battles and conflicts and God, I mean, at the age of nine, I'm pure domesticated. I'd be like making pots of soup, putting washings on, ironing, cleaning the house. She would take, she'd be like, right, I'll do living room, bathroom, bedrooms. She'd like, you do hall, kitchen, whatever. And this, would, this is how we lived. And she always said like, she wanted to teach me how to look after myself, be a man, yeah. to, to, as far as she can anyway, because there's only so much a you woman do, can influence yeah. that. Um, and she always said, I never, I always heard her saying it to other people, I never want him to be with somebody and for her to say, oh, his fucking mum done everything for him. She kind of wanted it to be the opposite. Love that. And so I, I mean, I pots of fucking soup on a Sunday evening. I remember I learned to make spiced onions so I could have spiced onions. <laughs> Poppadoms, <laughs> what a weird wee bastard. So I would have like chicken and mushroom soup or chicken noodle soup where I started a poppadom with spice <laughs> onions because that's what she taught me how to make. That while is amazing. Putting on a washing and ironing my uniform at the age of 10. I mean, p- parents used to take my like, pa- uh, pal's families and that would take me away yeah. and they would take me back and be like, what the fuck, man? This guy just gets himself up, irons his clothes, doesn't have to be fucking told to do it. And whereas our, and I'm talking about you, Dean Blair and Max. They're like, our fucking three idiots are just sitting there waiting for everything <laughs> to be done for them. And you're, you're going through life, and there's a point to this. But so I'd kind of gone through life, just been like, plodding along. But then I got older, and then I start to... When my mum was my age, she had a 15-year-old. Mm. I've said this recently, like, I can just about look after myself. I can't imagine having to fucking look after a 15-year-old. She did all this. And you're going to go and do the same. Yeah. And what an example for, for Brooklyn as well. And what a life he'll going to have and one day he'll be my age it makes me sound like a pure old man you he'll be my age man. and he might be sitting across for a, a table for somebody hearing a similar story mm. and he might then be able to say to somebody well do you know yeah this kind of happened to my family as well and here's how it's going to pan out for you and therefore there's a domino effect that you're creating and I, this might seem yeah. like i never ever ever want MD to think 
that it was fucking grief porn. All yeah. I want to be like, that's why I said what I said at the start about, yeah. I, I don't do, um, I no longer do, I've learned my lesson. I don't do um, a theatrical performance of, of trauma and sadness. I'm yeah. like, that would make me money. People would tune in and it might get me a few pats in the back, but yeah. is it good for that person? No, yeah. not until they've kind of healed. You've obviously now so, coming up for you. Oh, she is thriving. Two years, 363 days yeah. since that original point. And um, it's only going to get better. You're, you're going to write your book. Yeah. It's going to serve as a, a a manual of comfort and support and instruction and advice yeah. for people. And there is therein lies like just this unbelievable legacy of sorts not that you're finished or anything you're only you're not even started no I, I that's the thing i think i'm actually just at the beginning i really do like i now feel the fire in my belly that this is my purpose and if that can also on the sideline make my son realize that a strong woman raised him and got him out of a bad situation yeah i've done a world of good who have been nowhere without strong women. I know. You're doing the best that you could. I promise I was trying to do the best I could. That's it. With what I had. That is, honestly, it's what I try to tell myself about my mum. She did brilliantly, but not only that, she did the best that she could. It's yeah. all you can ask for and anybody. That's, yeah. Well, yeah. when the book comes out, I'll be coming back to the lodge. <laughs> I'll be having a few more of those biscuits. They were lovely. Put the thing. fire on. Yeah, thank you. It's nice and cosy, isn't it? I thought it'd be cold, but jackets off and yeah, everything. Put the fire on a little bit, but it's went out now. Oh, it's lovely. Um, is there a song don't tell me just say yes or no is there a song that kind of you listen to over the years that's so weird uh, uh, that you listen to over the years so yes or no (laughs) my question is is there a song you listen to over the years that you put on and it just gives you this absolute sense of fucking I can do this yes Today